0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week?
1: Matt, we have two cards this week.
0: All right.
1: The inclusion of the Tops Traded set has now allowed us to do double card episodes. And so we have two Ron Kittles.
0: Yeah, double the Kittle.
1: <laughs> we have Ron Kittle, number 259, designated hitter for the New York Yankees. And we have Ron Kittle, number 58T, designated hitter for Cleveland. Fantastic. Well, I'm pulling both of these up on the Jumbotron. Luckily,
0: the Jumbotron is big enough to hold them both. But first, a quick bit of follow-up. Hot off the presses this week In news headlines, we saw phenom pitcher slash slugger Shohei Ohtani involved in a transportation muckup that rivals the great Pasquale Perez perimeter incident. What is going on here?
1: It was reported by the Angels that Shohei Ohtani was scratched from his start because he was delayed on the Bay Area rapid transportation system headed from san francisco to oakland so the angels report this they scratch him from his start he still plays dh in the game however there's some controversy involved because after this report san francisco's bart twitter account said it was an honor to host a baseball superstar like shohei otani on bart however we did not experience any issues on our end we confirmed with operations control center there was no delay for any coliseum heading train during the bay bridge incident he was on an angels team bus that was delayed on the bay bridge due to an accident so i guess the angels all hopped off the bus and got onto bart and then were delayed but bart says they had no delays so maybe this was a a problem with angels planning
0: Mm. yeah and if there's one thing that you can say about public transportation agencies it's that they do have the receipts so the fact that he did play in the game does make this a, a better outcome than Pasquale Perez's legendary missing of his start due to <laughs> getting lost in the Atlanta highway system.
1: It's never good when you're in a Twitter scrap with a rapid transit system.
0: I know urban planners, and boy, they take their timetables seriously. so So I'm glad we could uh, dig into this somewhat. Now let's go to Ron Kittle. Why are we talking about Ron Kittle today?
1: We've been taking a lot of uh, recommendations lately, and I appreciate all the suggestions. I probably lost some of them in my mailbox, but we still have a bunch more to work through. However, this is a a bit of a busy week for me, and I knew that Ron Kittle has an interesting story and a very detailed personal website, and so I thought this might be an easy one. And also, (laughs) the White Sox are doing pretty well right now. We haven't talked about many White Sox on this program, so I picked a guy who has two cards, neither of which are White Sox, but is very intricately connected with the 1983 White Sox, and uh, a lot of his best moments are are Sox moments.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. This is probably the best personal website that we've seen so far from one of the subjects of our episode. So yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun one. Yes, he let's... certainly
1: likes to talk about Ron Kittle.
0: <laughs> He's got some good stories. So let's go to... The front of both cards and then do the back of both cards so the front of 259 has ron with the yankees he is he's just finished a swing
1: so maybe this is a practice swing he's in the away yankees gray uniform it's an okay looking card
0: it's okay it's okay behind his right leg you can see in the crowd is what looks like four guys all wearing white hats in one clump it's kind of suspicious. I don't know what's going on there. Are these like Navy all...
1: service members? What's going on yeah, back there? Yeah, it could
0: be. It could be. Kids from the Naval Base are, are down on leave. But either way, that's it's an okay look. I uh, can't really see much Ron Kittle there.
1: You can see his glasses. <laughs> you
0: do see his trademark glasses. Moving to the traded card for the Cleveland baseball team. And this is a close-in shot which... I haven't checked with our friend Andrew at Painted Cap about this card, but it does look very conspicuous as a a Painted Cap type of card where you've got a close-in obviously staged batting cage shot and a pretty obnoxious hat.
1: You got some gloves, some very white batting gloves. You can buy those on ronkittle.com. <laughs> That's not a joke. You can actually buy his batting gloves on ronkittle.com.
0: Is this are we going to have to insert affiliate links into the show today, David?
1: Ronkittle.com sponsoring this episode.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll ask Andrew from Painted Cap for a ruling on this one.
1: I think that this is a real picture. I don't you don't see that kind of stippling that they did with that mm-hmm. mesh jersey. So but I, I think, think the, brim of
0: that, the brim of the hat, though, if you zoom in on the brim of the hat, I think something looks a little bit off there.
1: Your ability to zoom is better than mine because I'm just looking <laughs> at the card.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm zooming in on the photo. Now going to the back of the card. And the backs of the cards are very similar. There's only one small difference. So we use 259 uh, for the back. Ron Kittle, 6'4", 220, right-handed batter and thrower. Signed by the Dodgers in 1977 as a free agent. Born January 5th, 1958 in Gary, Indiana, with a home in Crown Point, Indiana.
1: So Ron, born in Gary, Indiana, best known for Steel, the Jackson family, and a song in The Music Man. When Ron was born, Gary was at its peak. There were nearly 180,000 people living in Gary in 1960. That population has dropped to now around seventy five thousand in recent years. The loss of the steel industry has really devastated the city of Gary and it's an incredibly impoverished place. But at the time that Ron was born, steel was booming. His dad worked in the steel mill. He's the fourth of six kids, born to Dorothy Jean and James Slim Kittle. So Slim worked in the steel mill. He was the head of an ironworking team. Did Ron go to the Gary Conservatory of Music or Uh, Professor Harold Hill Memorial High School? No, he went to William Wirt High School. The only other alumni listed was Crystal Taliaferro Pratt. Uh, She's a musician who played with Billy Joel, Johnny Cougar, Garth Brooks, and numerous others. She sang on Billy Joel's Stormfront, including on We Didn't Start the Fire, Mm. and toured with many famous musicians. But that school closed in 2009 with the shrinking population They shut down some of the schools in Gary. Uh, I think Ron grew up in the Miller Beach area, which is a very lovely area of, of Gary that is right along the Lake Michigan shore. There's now a national park on Lake Michigan. And as we get into some of Ron's autobiography here, it's a bit of a tall tale. And I think that his story is amazing and it has grown over time. And maybe with Ron's retelling of it, it consistently gets better. So a lot of the information here is going to be from Ron's perspective. And maybe there's some some truth stretching.
0: Well, and David, we've had other episodes on the show where we alert the listeners that we're not doing deep fact checking. When these players are telling stories about their own history, You know, we're not going into it in order to try to debunk their stories about their own lives. But as you know from my other podcast on on literary analysis the concept of the unreliable narrator is one that's used to great literary effect you know throughout you know writing and movies and all sorts of creative arts and i think that listeners should really just take all of these stories with a grain of salt and understand that perhaps the author is using them to some effect and we don't have to take them all at face value, but we also don't have to suspect them of being disingenuous at the same time. Exactly, and I I
1: do take Ron's stories in in good fun. I, I think that Ron has fun on this on his website. He has fun on social media. Let's just refer to him as the unreliable designated hitter. <laughs>
0: but
1: the so this story, Ron Kittle origins. In high school, Ron was a three-sport athlete. He actually said that he was better at football and basketball than baseball. But at the time, he was told that he would never play baseball because he wore glasses. And that spurred him to focus more on baseball. He wasn't signed out of high school. He went to work with his dad's ironworking crew. He was a punk, kind of like a gopher for for this. And that's apparently a term in ironworking. His dad's crew made good money and they worked hard. There was a lot of hours, a lot of overtime. He said that the whole team was nervous working with him because his dad was in charge. And if something was going to happen to Ron, then his dad would have their head. Obviously, working in a steel mill and doing ironworking will make somebody stronger physically, probably mentally as well. And around this time, Ron saw an ad in the newspaper for Dodgers tryouts in LaPorte, Indiana. He said he was kind of nervous about it. He he hid the newspaper from his dad, but his dad had already seen it. Ron didn't want to give up overtime because it was on a Saturday, and he knew that he could make good money. And his dad told him, if you go try out and do a good job, I'll pay you what you would have made working overtime. So he went, and he was one of 200 people to try out. Only a couple were asked to stay for extra hitting at the end, and he impressed them so much that they signed him for $5,000. His minor league career gets started. He started at Clinton, and in, in his first at-bat, he hit a double. On the next play, he's driven in by Mike Sosha, and when he's sliding into home, the catcher falls on his neck. Ron said that he felt like he was paralyzed, but he also said maybe it was like a stinger from playing football. But in actuality, he was injured really badly. He sat out a few months. He attempted to come back. He only hit 189, was sent back down to the Rookie League. He hit 250. The next season, he starts out poorly and gets cut, goes back to Indiana, and goes back to working in the steel mill. It turned out that he had a broken neck. He had to have spinal fusion surgery. He had three crushed vertebrae and a cracked spinal cord. But the odd thing about this is that Ron said his neck was never what hurt him, that everything else hurt, but his neck was never in pain. So he didn't know I should have my neck checked out until he went to the specialist. But at this point, he thinks his career is over, and he goes back to working in a steel mill, and and he's 20 years old. So at age 20,
0: he's already had a baseball career that started and ended, goes back to the steel mill, but now, David, is where... The next big tall tale in Ron Kittle's life happens.
1: Yeah. Ron said that when he went back to the steel mill, he ends up putting on like 40 pounds of muscle. Okay. And and as we see on the back of his card, he's 6'4", 220. He was a big dude. So he's playing for a semi-pro team. As you said, the tall tale extends. He said he's playing in Midlothian. I should have had some Midlothian facts on here, but that's okay. And they're, they're playing next to I-294. I don't know if Pascual Perez ever had any incidents on I-294, but Ron <laughs> hits a ball onto the expressway. Okay. Ron says that this went 550 to 600 feet.
0: All right, sure.
1: <laughs> and it hit a car or bounced in front of a car. And that car gets off the expressway and the guys come to the field and they say, who hit that? And Ron is scared because he's like, I don't know if I hit this car. I don't, know, I don't have any money to pay for it. And it turns out that it was White Sox legend pitcher Billy Pierce, who at this point was working as a scout, and owner Bill Veck. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and they invited Ron to a tryout for the White Sox organization at Comiskey Park. Well, that's the best
0: luck you could ever imagine someone having.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Pierce is credited with signing... Ron Kittle, after this tryout. So he goes to the tryout. Again, the tall tales continue. White Sox legend, Minnie Minoso, is hitting fly balls to Ron in the outfield. He had a good arm, so that impressed the scouts. According to Ron, he hit 12 of 25 pitches for home runs, including the last pitch, which he hit onto the roof. Bill Vex said, don't let that guy leave without signing him. And so Ron signed with the Chicago White Sox.
0: It's a good story. So nineteen seventy-nine he is in the minors, splitting between single A and double A. Hit 267 with eight homers and thirty-eight RBIs. And then the next year in nineteen eighty, he hits sixteen homers, splitting time between single and double A.
1: At that point, he's playing with some future White Sox teammates, Richard Dotson, Lamar Hoyt. He becomes good friends with previous nineteen eighty eight subject Greg Walker. They became very good friends playing together in, in the minor leagues. When he was younger, Ron was a switch hitter. After his surgery, he couldn't turn his neck as easily, so he only hit right-handed. In A in 1981, he has his breakout season. He hits 40 home runs, 103 RBIs, while hitting 326 in just 109 games. In 82, he has a really good spring. He was disappointed to not make the team. But unfortunately, the White Sox already had a good outfielder in Steve Kemp, who was hitting .286 with 19 home runs, and he had a big contract, so they weren't going to call up this guy from AAA. He had a historic season. That leads to the fun fact that Ron was Pacific Coast League
0: MVP at Edmonton in 1982. He ended up hitting 50 home runs in only 127 games.
1: Truly amazing. He also hit 342 walked 74 times, which is the most at any level. And part of that was that pitchers were just avoiding throwing to him. He also had 10 triples. And for a big guy with a fused spine, he could really move. 50 homers in the minors, the last time that any player has done that. And uh, we've seen a few get close. Ryan Howard, I think, hit 46 in a minor league season. But nowadays, you would likely get called up if you were hitting as well as Ron was hitting, they would have found a spot for somebody to at least be a DH if you're hitting that well. Ron was called up at the end of the AAA season, and in Chicago, he hit two forty one with one home run and seven RBIs and 29 at-bats.
0: And that epic season earned Ron the award of Minor League Player of the Year, and the award was presented to him at Comiskey by a famous neighbor of his from his minor league team.
1: Wayne Gretzky. The Edmonton Oilers were owned by the same guy who owned the Edmonton Trappers. And Gretzky was a very good baseball player himself. And he would go to the Trappers games and and take batting practice. So Ron Kittle knew him. And it did lead to a very good picture with the great one wearing a White Sox jacket and hat. Very good look at the old Comiskey Park.
0: And here's a a quote from Ron Kittle's website. He talks about playing in Edmonton and that every day there was an off day. There'd be this other guy from the Oilers on the field. I'd throw him batting practice. We did this over the course of the season. He was a little blonde-haired skinny kid, but Wayne could hit the shit out of the ball.
1: got to put a content warning on this episode.
0: It's a Ron Kittle episode. So I think the algorithm already knows that there might be some some lighthearted profanity.
1: I think he also said he didn't know who Wayne Gretzky was, which I find unbelievable considering at this point, I think Wayne had already had (laughs) 200 points in a season and was the greatest hockey player ever to live.
0: Yeah, and was probably being mobbed everywhere he went in town as well. But it's a good story.
1: Yes, as so many of Ron Kittles are, they're good (laughs) stories.
0: It is a good story. So 1983, Ron is beginning his full rookie season with the White Sox and he and the White Sox both have a good year not quite 50 home runs but but pretty good.
1: Ron and Greg Walker both had big spring trainings they were roommates at one point and and very good friends and in 1983 they're the subject of this Sports Illustrated piece that talks about them how Kittles from The big city from Gary, Indiana, and Greg is from a small town in Georgia, but they became good friends, and they're kind of opposites. Ron babysat for Greg's kid, and they were both young guys challenging for a similar spot. Greg ended up playing at first base, playing 59 games in 1983. Ron ended up in left field, and he had 18 home runs in the first half of the season. But at that point, the White Sox were three games over 500. Ron made an all-star team as a rookie. And so Ron's the only White Sox All-Star. And this was the 50th anniversary of the first All-Star game at Comiskey Park. And so Ron's whole family is there. And people in the stands were pumped. They're flipping out. (laughs) And this is the last All-Star game of Carl Yastrzemski. So there's this video of the, the lineups for the American League getting announced. And the biggest cheer is for Ron Kittle. And you can just imagine a rookie... Gary, Indiana, is close enough to sh- the south side of Chicago that there's a ton of White Sox fans in northwest Indiana. And people love Ron. In the game, he gets a single off of Pasquale Perez,
0: 1988 tops favorite, and scores on a triple by Lou Whitaker.
1: The game is probably best remembered for Freddie Lynn hitting the only Grand Slam in All-Star Game history. The American League won in a 13-3 route. But a big day for Ron Kittle and his family.
0: For the White Sox that season, by middle of July, they're, they're only four games over five hundred. But they're in first place in the AL West, and they go on to win the division.
1: And this is a, a great White Sox team. And one that, as a young person, I was not really paying attention as a three-year-old. But <laughs> these guys were legends, and Ron Kittle became a legend. And the team was managed by some guy named Tony Larusa. I wonder whatever happened to him. And (laughs) they had Richard Dotson, Floyd Bannister, Cy Young winner Lamar Hoyt. That lineup had Harold Baines, Carlton Fisk, Greg Lezinski, and Ron Kittle. And he was a huge part of this. This team is, is referred to as the winning ugly White Sox. And Doug Rader, who was the manager of the Rangers, said, they aren't playing well, but they're winning ugly. And this became a a rallying cry and kind of a a thing that White Sox fans remember as the team. You know, there's certain names for teams and the winning ugly White Sox hold a special place for White Sox fans.
0: Coaches love terms like that to hear that their team is winning ugly. It usually means that they're working really hard and they're playing good defense and they're not doing the flashy things that some pretty boys are doing, but instead they're working hard with grit and determination.
1: It's, it's almost like uh, something that Tony LaRussa would love. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're following Shocking. all of the unwritten rules. All <laughs> the
0: unwritten rules followed
1: to a T. And Ron definitely leans into that hard work and work ethic, et cetera, thing. It's...
0: Yeah, completely fits the myth, for sure. And hey, ugly or not, this is a pretty good team. So from August through the end of that season, they finish out 46 and 15 to close out the season and end up winning the West by 20 games.
1: And Ron finishes strong, 17 home runs in the second half of the season. Two of those went on to the left field roof at Comiskey Park. And Ron was known for his roof shots. He actually holds the record for... The most rooftop home runs at the Old Comiskey Park. He hit seven of them in his four-ish seasons with the White Sox. This feat only happened 44 times in the history of the Old Park. The first time by Babe Ruth, the last time by Ron Kittle. And so, yeah, of those 44 times, seven of them by Ron Kittle. Pretty good record. He was also able to significantly increase his on-base percentage in the second half of the season. He walked 30 times compared to nine in the first half. So the line for the season,
0: 254 average, 35 home runs and 100 RBIs wins him rookie of the year in the American league.
1: He led the league with a home run every 14.9 at bats. We're getting into Ken Phelps territory. And second place in that AL rookie of the year vote was Julio Franco. Ron also led the league in strikeouts with 150. So a real all or nothing guy. (laughs)
0: And this is the first uh, playoffs for the White Sox since 1959.
1: This is another reason why they're remembered fondly among White Sox fans. The next time the White Sox would make the playoffs was 1993. Not a real regular occurrence uh, in the 80s and 90s for the White Sox to, to play that well. The White Sox beat the Orioles in game one in the 83 ALCS at Memorial Stadium and then lost the next four games. Ron, for his part, got a beer dumped on him in Game (laughs) 2. And in Game 3, this is the first postseason game at Comiskey Park since the 1959 World Series. Ron hits a double, scores a run. Later in the game, he gets hit in the kneecap, and it led to a benches-clearing incident. And by the next inning, his knee had swelled to the size of a softball and he had to be removed from the game. After the game, people asked Ron if he thought that the hit-by-pitch was intentional, and he said his cleaned-up response is that Mike Flanagan had one wild pitch all season. So Flanagan knew where he was throwing the ball. I think that the White Sox thought that Ron was being targeted as he was one of the few home-run threats on the team. And the White Sox lost that game 11-1, to and Kittle didn't play for the rest of the series. The Orioles end up
0: winning the series and threw some... Amazing Magic magic, 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 magic,
1: magic. end up winning the World Series in five games over the Phillies. This was Ron Kittle's only playoff appearance in his career. He went two for seven with that double. In
0: 1984, he follows it up with another 30-plus home run season.
1: Ron hits 32 home runs in 1984, but he only hit 215, still striking out a lot, and the White Sox finish under 500. Again, Ron leads the American League with the fewest at bats per home run, with 14.6. Going into 85, he splits time between left field and DH, and he again hits only 230, but has 26 home runs. But his RBIs fall off. So he's only, only has 58 RBIs in 85. And the Sox team was above 500, but finished third in the AL West. In 1986, he started the season with the
0: White Sox, largely at DH, had 17 homers in the first half of the season. And then July 30th is traded. We go to this way to the clubhouse on the back of the card. Ron is traded by the White Sox to the Yankees with Wayne Tolleson and Joel Skinner. For Ron Hassey and Carlos Martinez, the Shy Sox also received Bill Lindsey.
1: This is a trade that didn't really work out for either team. Martinez spent a couple years as a White Sox first baseman, third baseman, didn't have a lot of power. He was also six foot five and trying to play third base, so that didn't really work out. Carlos Martinez's son also played major league baseball. Carlos died at the age of 40 to cancer in and died at a really young age. So, RIP Carlos Martinez. Ron Hassey, we mentioned him last week and I kind of want to get to the Ron Hassey episode because he was traded four times in 19 months either to or from the Yankees. So the Yankees either <laughs> wanted Ron Hassey or wanted to get rid of Ron Hassey. He was not really happy to, with this trade. He said And this is kind of shades of Ken Phelps. Our biggest need is not hitting. Everyone knows that. I thought I was playing an important role on this team. I wanted to be a part of the whole thing here. So Ron Hassey knows the Yankees need pitching. They don't need Ron Kittle. (laughs) And Ron wasn't happy about the trade either. He said he was traded mid-game while on the field. And in that last game, he hit a home run against the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem to work out for anybody. The second half of the season, Ron hits 238 with only four home runs in 30 games for the Yankees. And it was a platoon DH, which you don't usually see that often.
1: Unless you're the Yankees and you're trading for Ken Phelps. You know, maybe they could have had Ken Phelps as a lefty and Ron Kittle as the righty. But yeah, it doesn't really make sense in a right-handed DH in Yankee Stadium.
0: Questionable general manager principles being displayed here. In 1987, Things are slowing down for Ron a bit. He spent a lot of time on the DL, only played in 59 games. While he was playing, he was effective. He had 277, which is the best hitting year you know to date, and 12 home runs.
1: A rate of one homer every 14.4 at-bats. One of those home runs was an inside-the-park home run for a guy <laughs> with a ton of injuries, maybe not great knees, not great speed. He only had a few stolen bases. He hit an inside-the-park homer, we'll link to that in the show notes, a long fly ball that I think Jesse Barfield misplayed. The ball bounces off the base of the outfield wall and just rolls almost all the way back to the infield, and you see the outfielder and infielder running toward each other and Ron sprinting around, so some good wheels on Ron to get an inside-the-park home run. That was the only one of those of his career. Yeah, that is enjoyable to watch.
0: Although it was a decent season for him, he ends up getting released from the Yankees at that point. And 1988 signs with Cleveland, and that's why Ron is part of the traded set, because he signed with a different team in the offseason. The Tops company knew that they needed to make it official.
1: I'm going to step on your toes here, Matt, and read the This Way to the Clubhouse, because I think it's particularly funny. <laughs> Ron signed as a free agent with the Cleveland Indians February 9th, 1988 and was added to the roster I don't understand why they needed to add that last part in we see that he's wearing a Cleveland uniform I assume <laughs> he's added to the roster I don't know why they needed to have that in so good redundancy there
0: I, I just really feel like the team that pulls the fun facts for the big cards that guy should have been put on the traded team to help put some better fun facts because that's a really poor fun fact all that aside he was pretty effective in his short stint with Cleveland
1: he was limited to 75 games again injuries kind of catching up and slowing Ron down but he hit 18 home runs again at a very good rate one every 12 and a half at bats he hit 258 but had a really good OPS of 856 but after that season he's granted free agency
0: He goes back to the White Sox for 1989, plays in 51 games there with 11 home runs, an OPS of 934. So very good slugging. 1990 plays okay for, again, half a season about and hits 243 with 11 home runs. And
1: 1990 was a very good year for the White Sox. They ended up finishing second to the A's that year, and they closed down the old Comiskey Park after that season. So he he did get the final rooftop shot at Comiskey Park and then gets traded away. On July 30th, Ron was traded for Phil Bradley of the Baltimore Orioles. Phil Bradley played in 45 games for the White Sox before calling it a career. He had been an all-star earlier in his career, but didn't do much for the White Sox.
0: So at the end of the season, Ron becomes a free agent again and is signed by Cleveland again, but they end up releasing him before the 1991 season starts. He signs again with the White Sox a third time, (laughs) plays 17 games with them in 1991, and eventually ends his career at the end of 1991. So between 1987 and 1991, for those five years, he only played 307 games. So injuries really caught up with him. That brings to a career line of 239 average with 100 doubles, 176 home runs, a career OPS of 779. Not a single one of his home runs is a Grand Slam.
1: Yeah, this is the second most home runs without a Grand Slam after Glenn Davis, who we'll talk about on a later episode. It's just an odd stat. A pretty good rate of home runs, though, for his career, considering how much time he missed due to injury. A decent career for Ron Kittle. A lot of those home runs came as a White Sox player, and he's well-remembered as a White Sox player.
0: So in retirement, David, I think this is where we turn it over to... Ron Kittle's website of grand creations and marvelous storytelling. <laughs> because he seems to be a renaissance man who's done a little bit of everything.
1: He has. He has Ron Kittle charities, and they've raised over $2 million for cancer research and education. He is active on social media, on his Facebook page. He's an ambassador for the White Sox organization. He was at one point a manager with the Schaumburg Flyers, as well as the Merrillville Mud Dogs. I did not know that that was a team. But the Schaumburg Flyers, I think we talked about them with Matt Noakes, I think worked for them. Ron's still involved in the Chicagoland area. He makes a lot of stuff. He, he makes bats. He sells stuff. He sells bats. He sells creations, <laughs> artwork, ashtrays. You can buy his old batting gloves all sorts of Ron Kittle memorabilia. He also wrote a book called Ron Kittle's Tales from the White Sox Dugout in 2005.
0: My favorite part of the website and of Ron Kittle's story though in retirement is exemplified by the page on his website called Ron Kittle Fun Facts. It's basically what you would get if, if you looked at someone who was very active on Facebook and then if you went to the about that person and it showed you all of the likes that they had, all of the movies, all of the foods and restaurants, all of the places they visited. Ron Kittle basically did that on his own website, and it's really actually very charming. So he starts with his kids, My Pride and Joy, Haley Elizabeth Kittle, and Dylan James Kittle, My Favorite Foods,
1: and it has a picture of him holding this monstrous sandwich. Well, it was made by the Bertucci Boys. The Bertucci boys are are famed in White Sox fandom. I don't know what a Bertucci triple is at the patio, but this sandwich looks ridiculous. He also likes skirt steak and eggs looking back at you. Tacos. He likes all tacos. Same.
0: Ah, heck. All tacos. Then his favorite movies, including Sweet Home Alabama and Schindler's List. This is quite a list of movies. So I, I really enjoy it. Do
1: you know what he dislikes, Matt? Athletes who do not play hard.
0: That's exactly right. Me too, Ron Kittle. Smokers who are rude. Same here. Smokers who are not rude, though. I don't know if that's... I don't don't mind him. Yeah, I like also that he's got thumbs up and thumbs down displaying his World Series ring. David, how did Ron Kittle get a World Series ring?
1: I think maybe now it is much more common for ex-players and club legends to be given rings when a team wins a World Series. I know that in 2016, the Cubs gave a ring to Steve Bartman and, and so many other Cubs legends. The White Sox, I don't think in 2005, did that as extensively as is now done. So in 2018, 13 years after the White Sox win the World Series, Jerry Reinsdorf said, in all the excitement, part of the White Sox family was overlooked. It was an injustice that he hadn't been given a ring. So Reinsdorf, a decade plus later, gives Ron Kittle a ring. Ron was not expecting it and had a a very heartfelt post. The fact that he had been an ambassador from 2003 on shows that maybe it was an oversight by the White Sox to not give a member of their organization, but maybe they kept it close. David, one last thing from the website I wanted to point out, and it
0: combines two of our past guests. On Ron Kittle's Fun Facts page, he lists his favorite pitcher to hit and the toughest pitcher he faced, which was something that Mark Simon always did when people retired. He had that as his favorite pitcher to hit and the least favorite pitcher to hit. On the favorite pitcher to hit, he lists 1988 tops podcast favorite Burt
1: Blylevin. In this section about Burt Blylevin... Ron says some guy that needs to get out more ran some numbers on it. And he ran some numbers <laughs> on Ron versus Burt Blylevin. And then he has a link to this to this website. Yeah, and I I click the link and it takes me to
0: baseball reference. <laughs>
1: and it goes to the old baseball reference blog and it says posted by Andy on February second, twenty eleven. So I did send a message to Andy at High Heat Stats and said, Hey, Ron Kittle says you have too much time on your hands. <laughs> Which might be the case for all of us and Ron Kittle, who has <laughs> this Ron extensive Kittle. page about Ron Kittle. But Andy ran some numbers on Ron versus Burt, and Ron Kittle hit the most home runs of any Major League Baseball player against Burt Blyleven. He had nine in 44 at-bats. That is the most of any player. By comparison, Reggie Jackson had 131 at-bats and only hit six. So thanks to past and future guest, Andy, uh, as the guy who, quote, needs to get out more for helping us with this research. There's also 50 plus comments on this blog post. So nice job, <laughs> Andy. I didn't go through to see how many of them are from Ron Kittle, but Ron really took a liking to hitting off of Burt Blylevin. We love it.
0: So great job all the way around. I think it's clear that we all have too much time on our hands. But as as we close the book on Ron Kittle, David, I wonder what you think now that we've We've looked into a guy that is legitimately a White Sox legend and a, let's call him a modern dad in 2021. (laughs) What do you think now after looking into him?
1: (laughs) The 83 White Sox and Ron Kittle have a special place in the hearts of White Sox fans. The 83 Sox are one of those what-if teams. While Tony La Russa was fired in 1986, even Jerry Reinsdorf is nostalgic for 1983, So much so that he re-signed LaRusso, what, 34 years later. By the time I was paying attention to baseball, Ron Kittle wasn't a White Sox player anymore. So really my first memory of him might have been this card and and Ron as a Yankee. But I knew him as a White Sox player. I knew that he was a legend. It was like ingrained in me that Ron Kittle's a guy that we like. He hit nearly 100 home runs in his first three full seasons. By today's standard, isn't that big a deal. White Sox fans have since seen Frank Thomas and Albert Bell and Paul Canerco and others hit 40 home runs in a season. But in 1983, his 35 home runs was the second best total in White Sox history. He was the slugger. And part of Ron's appeal was that he's this giant guy with glasses from Gary, Indiana, worked in a steel mill, and the big man from Gary and that image is something that I think Southside fans really connected with and liked. And he remains a Sox fan and a Sox fan favorite. There's images of him riding his Harley onto the field at, at Comiskey. And he shows up when guys retire and he makes them giant wooden bats and pieces of steel that he engraves Harold Bain's name into and makes some really amazing things. He seems really busy and really kind of interesting. I also like that his top three players on baseball reference similarities are Lucas Duda. Whatever Lucas Duda. I don't know anything about Lucas Duda. But the (laughs) the other two are Steve Balboni and Bo Jackson. And that's good company for 88 Tops podcast fans and good company for 80s baseball. A big hitter. The all time leader in rooftop home runs, all or nothing guy, and also just an amazing story of discovered from the steel mill, what might have been a career ending injury, then leading to an, a, another miraculous discovery. It's the, and then onto the hometown boy in the All Star game as a rookie. It, it's really an amazing story and one that Ron tells well with some Ron Kittle flair added in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he definitely adds a little bit extra. David and I I enjoy it when the players just go ahead and embrace the fact that when they have accomplishments on the field that they go ahead and claim them and help revel in them because as fans we do the same thing. You know, we want to celebrate those moments and celebrate the greatness that they show. They're just games, but they're a part of our lives. And so I just really enjoy that and Ron's attitude with that. So it's been a very fun uh, episode to research and to talk through.
1: I don't know if this is a particular thing for Chicago fans, but, you know, maybe folks outside Chicago notice that we tend to fixate on certain teams like the 85 Bears or the Jordan era Bulls. And the 83 White Sox are one of those teams. And if you look at Ron's page, I think that he has like a whole page set aside for just talking about 1983. And it's huge for him. He was rookie of the year and he made the playoffs. And everyone knows that team and loves that team. And uh, yeah, so I, I thought it was interesting that Ron has also leaned into fixating on that team. Well, White Sox
0: fans should be happy about this one and a chance to reminisce about that glory year. So thank you, David, for that. Thank you to whoever designed Ron Kittle's website. We just, we really love it. And thank you to you at home. If you're also a fan of Kittle nachos, that's when you get nachos with extra, extra everything and usually with barbecue brisket. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at tops 1988 Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.